Uh, amen. Well, thank you, Kevin, for uh, uh, leading us, and Ben and company for leading us as well. Um, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for joining us online. Um, you are joining us in a series we call What Jesus Really Does, and we're in part, I don't know, of the series. I think it's seven uh, of this series right now. And I thought I'd start off today um, by sharing a part of an article from someone named Stephanie Morrow. Are you guys familiar with, like, um, the fact that there's some really weird and old rules still on the books in a variety of states in our country, all right? So Stephanie decided to do a little article on some of those, and it's kind of funny. She wrote this. She said, let's take Missouri, for example, just so you know, you can't drive down the highway with an uncaged bear in your car. You know that? But if you happen to pass into Farmington, Connecticut, you will have to share the road with bovine travelers. In this city, cows have the same rights as, on the roads as do motorists. That's interesting. And evidently, when parking your elephant at a meter in Orlando, Florida, be sure to deposit the same amount of change as you would for a regular car. And if you stop for a beer in North Dakota, don't expect to get any pretzels with your beverage. It's against the law in that state to serve beer and pretzels at the same time. In Salem, West Virginia, it's apparently against the law to eat candy less than an hour and a half before church service. In Winona Lake, Wisconsin, it's illegal to eat ice cream at a counter on Sunday, and don't expect to order a slice of cherry pot pie a la mode in Kansas on the Lord's Day. And if you're a dog owner, be sure not to violate any of the numerous laws about your four-legged pet. If you're planning a short stint in Hartford, Connecticut, you might want to keep your dog's obedience training under wraps because it's against the law to educate dogs in that city. Now, in Florida, women can be fined for falling asleep under a dryer in a hair salon. If you're single and a thrill seeker, you need to go somewhere else because Florida also prohibits unmarried women from parachuting on Sundays. And finally, in Memphis, Tennessee, women can't drive a car unless there's a man with a red flag in front of the car warning the other people on the road. <laughs> I have no comment about that at all. I'm simply reporting. I'm not creating. All right. Uh, rules are everywhere, though, all right, aren't they? I mean, rules are absolutely everywhere, and in their best format, in their best format, they are designed to help us live at peace and unity with one another. They are, in their best format, an expression of love and care for our society and for one another. They help us know what we can and can't do, when we can and can't do it, and it helps us, in their best form, from inadvertently hurting each other. Now, in their worst form, they perpetuate harm, they perpetuate power struggles and power dynamics, they hurt people, they're used in abusive ways, um, and they can be incredibly domineering and dominating. In the reality, of, for all of what we experience, I think rules also have a side effect of being able to separate um, the rule followers from the rule breakers. And what that can mean sometimes in a social environment is that the people who get to keep the rules get rewarded, and the people who break the rules get punished. And it doesn't take long before you can, in a work environment or in a church environment or even in your family environment, you know who's in and who's out based on how well they're keeping the rules. In this church, for example, this church has been around literally forever. It feels like 1735 this church was founded, so it's a really, really long time. There used to be against the rules in this church to have men and women sitting on the same side. Some of you know that. It used to be against the rules to have flowers in this sanctuary. It used to be against the rules to have musical accompaniment. It used to be against the rules to sing in four-part harmony. It used to be against the rules to have anyone but a licensed minister behind the pulpit, wherever that has now gone. 
And it wasn't hard then to figure out who's in, who's out. And obviously those rules have changed. I'm glad that all of them have changed, quite frankly. But still, there's some things that remain for all of us. Even in terms of how we see our spiritual life and how we come to terms of how we grow spiritually. There are rules, if you will, that don't take long for us to apply to one another and even to ourselves. Those rules on what we dress like, what we listen to, how we come, the words we use here versus the words we use out there. There's a whole set of rules that come along with any subculture that tells you who's on the in and who's on the out, who's going to be rewarded and who's going to be punished. And this isn't true just for us. It's also true of a society hundreds of years ago. We're tracking with the Apostle Paul, an early follower of Jesus, when he wrote a little letter called Colossians. He wrote to a, a city, a town in Colossae. And there, they were dealing with this very same thing. There were people who were new believers trying to figure out how to grow in their faith. And what he wanted to do from the beginning of the establishment of Christianity was establish what Jesus really does and his impact on some rules that have been handed down from previous generations to this new fledgling group of people. And so when we're asking the question, what does Jesus really do? What does Jesus really do? Today I want to make the case for you through the writing of the Apostle Paul that Jesus actually breaks the rule of rules. It took me a minute to come up with that, so I hope it's not confusing. What I mean by that is Jesus actually breaks the power or the rule, the reign of rules. The fact that we come under rules to try to advance us and grow us. To put it another way, I believe that what Paul is going to argue today is that human rules and regulations that, were, that are meant to, to tame us, that are meant to kind of bring us, um, our flesh under control, human rules and regulations that are meant to do that don't work. And further, they actually get us to chase something that will never save us, and that is the rules themselves. A long time ago, a person named St. John of the Cross um, talked about the passions of the human soul as almost like a, a ring in the nose of a bull, and that we can be pulled around just little by little by passions that are unbridled. And what controls that bull is just the simple passion of the heart, if you will. And his point was, we need Christ to settle our passions because they can pull us here, there, or anywhere. And throughout human history, we have had that experience. Many come to faith, in fact, because they want to get these passions under control. We want to be more tame. We want to bring our sensual indulgences, that's what Paul is going to use in a minute, under control. We want not to be out of control. We want to find God and bring peace to our turmoil and our anxiety and our stress and our depression. We want to find God's peace in the spaces of the deep part of our soul that gets all worked up and all anxious and all excited. And what we will end up doing is layering a version of rules or disciplines on us to say, if you do these things, this will bring you what you are looking for. And Paul is going to make a very strong case today to say that the rules that are handed down to us on how to operate and how to bring these passions of our soul under control don't work. And further, they're dangerous because they get us to chase something that will never save us in the first place. So rather than me trying to convince you of that, I want to go to what Paul had to say, and you get to decide what you think from his ancient writing. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 
2. Colossians is in the right two-thirds of your Bible. Colossians chapter 2, um, verses uh, 16 through 23 is where we'll be this morning. There's a Bible in the chair around you. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to kind of go verse by verse this morning. And he begins for this morning in verse 16. He puts it this way. Um, in light of what just happened, so in light of where we just were last week, um, in which it was established that Jesus uh, breaks the bond of uh, the, the burden of the law on us, that we are now free, in light of the freedom of Christ's death and what he brings to us, therefore, verse 16, verse, verse 16, excuse me, therefore, he says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, this is really kind of ancient language. I don't know if anyone recently has ever judged you for how you've responded to a new moon festival. Anyone ever talked to you about that recently? All right, so this is obviously ancient language, but what, what he's referring to is this, that what was handed down, particularly from a, a Jewish ancestry, was obligations to religious festivals, traditions, and habits, especially, and you're familiar with the Sabbath, especially the Sabbath. And this is really difficult for us to, to appreciate, I think, the power of this. But it was handed down over and over and over from generation to generation to generation to generation, even to these people who are reading this letter, was what one should do on the Sabbath, to honor the Lord of the Sabbath to avoid certain things and to embrace certain things. As many of you know, good Jews were only allowed to walk a certain number of steps on the Sabbath, only allowed to cook a certain kind of thing or not a certain kind of thing on the Sabbath. You, they had some priests um, or rabbis who um, were so committed to the Sabbath that they would uh, basically walk with their head down and walk into a wall on the Sabbath to avoid even looking at a woman, potentially even lustfully on the Sabbath especially. And so you had what we called the walk into the wall branch of the Pharisees, which is really kind of funny. People so committed to these rules. And what Paul is saying here is like, listen, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. That would be akin to someone saying to you, of all the religious things that were handed down to you from your parents and your grandparents, don't let anyone judge you if you violate every single one of those. You have to be in church on Sunday. Your skirt, your dress has to be a certain length. You're not allowed to drink alcohol. You have to watch movies, none of which can be R-rated. You're allowed to listen only to this kind of music. Here's the kind of person you should be dating and the people you should be avoiding. These words are not allowed to come out of your mouth. These can. Over and over and over and over and over again, we layer a kind of order and structure and discipline and say these are the things if they're followed, these rules, follow them. If we follow these rules, we are certain to find peace, unity with God and with fellow man. And what he's saying, this is so controversial, if this strikes you odd and it kind of is unsettling even for me to say it and to hear it, I get it. Can you imagine how unsettling it would be for the early Jews? Everything that they were handed down Paul says, don't let anyone judge you now for what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, New Moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Don't let anyone judge you on any of these things. He says, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. 
The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, let me pause for a minute and just say a couple things that I'm talking about. When I say rules, that Jesus breaks the rule of rules, let me just, I, I need to nuance something here. Uh, number one, throughout this message, I want you to know this, that, that wisdom and love still apply in human relationships. Meaning this, if you go to dinner at your grandma's house or your mom's, you sit at, sit at your mom's table and you're wearing a baseball hat, what should you do? You're afraid to answer now, aren't you? We take it off. Now, generally, take it off, all right? We take it off. Why? Out of respect and honor. Now, there's no written rule probably in your home that says don't wear a baseball hat to the table, but most people, not everybody, most people know, like, Grandma doesn't want you wearing a hat at the table. Is what I'm saying that you're allowed to walk into Grandma's house and just, you know what, I don't care, Grandma, because Jesus broke the rule of rules. I'm wearing a baseball hat. Listen, I am not arguing for that. Wisdom and love still apply, all right? Do I think you're free from the acceptance or condemnation of grandma, whether you choose to wear or not wear a hat? Yes. Do I think you should take it off out of deference and love for her? Yes. What I'm talking about is whether we think and whether we make the rules things that will advance us spiritually. Same thing for how we see government, for example. In Romans 13, Paul writes about how we should be subject to governing authorities. Am I suggesting that we should just you know, disregard all government oversight, for example? And I'm not going to get into to politics at all today, but am I, am I suggesting that we just give up and, and walk away from and we say, who needs any rules? No, 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 listen. I'm very nuanced in what I'm trying to say. That Paul will even say, listen, it is, it is a good and godly thing to be subject to all rulers and authorities, to be subject to them. And he was even writing about Nero, someone who persecuted Christians, killed them. We have never been under Nero in our lifetime here in the United States. All right? We have never experienced the kind of persecution that Paul is talking about. And he writes of that government, Christians should be subject to them. I am not arguing that we should fight for our independence as free people. When I'm talking about rules being removed, what I am very particularly talking about is trying to get into our soul a little bit and say and ask kind of the question, what is it? What is it that really moves us spiritually and advances us spiritually? Because what it can become is it can become an adherence to or an obedience to a set of man-made rules in which if we look like everybody around us. We dress like everybody around us. We practice a spiritual discipline like everybody around us. We agree not to say certain words and to listen to and to watch only certain kinds of things. And we absorb this subculture's rules that we will somehow feel that we are closer to God or one with God where in fact we are on a fool's errand. We are spending time chasing a kind of conformity to a set of human rules which will never save us to begin with. That's the rules that I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And this is why Paul says it here. These things are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, for the Jews, the Sabbath why can they disregard the Sabbath's power now? Because the Sabbath was never going to save. Why can they disregard the New Moon Festival? Because the New Moon Festival was never going to save. It was a shadow of what is to come, which is now fulfilled in Christ. He goes on. 
He says, do not let anyone, verse 18, who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions about their, by their unspiritual mind, and they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. What's he saying here? What I think he's saying is this, and you can see it particularly in verse 18. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Again, in Colossae, there was a particular branch of people who worshiped angels, thinking that special information from angels would help them grow spiritually. So that's a very unique situation in Colossae. We don't have that here in my experience today. So kind of set that into a cultural, historical perspective. But he goes on, such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, and they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. I have yet to encounter... I have yet to encounter someone who is humble and, and rigorous on their rules. In other words, people who, who follow the rules the best are often the most prideful people. You know why I say that? Because I have been one of those people. All right. So let me just speak from my experience. Um, growing up, I have come to the conclusion in my history when I was younger, I'm like, you know what I've learned? Um, that as a kid, I learned a number of things. Number one, I learned... There are certain things that I was allowed to do and not allowed to do. And I don't know that anyone ever told me this, but I just kind of absorbed it. I learned that um, if I really wanted to please the people around me, I should listen to only Christian music. Only Christian music. No country, which still is a good principle. All right. Thank you. Nothing else. But only Christian authors and only Christian artists, and that, that was it. I did run into a problem when there was one or two Christian authors that quote-unquote crossed over to the quote-unquote secular world and recorded an album under a secular, quote-unquote secular label, to which then it threw my little world into a tizzy because I'm like, well, now what do I do? Like, am I still allowed to listen to them? I certainly can't listen to that, but does that mean that I can't listen to what they used to sing? Because I thought that used to be meaningful for me. But what if their heart was wrong because they're gone secular? Now what do I do? Well, now I'm impure for listening to someone who wasn't pure. And over here, and I came into a little bit of a, a crisis. I used to believe that no good Christian would ever watch an R-rated movie. Bottom line. Bottom line. We don't even need to discuss it. And then The Passion of the Christ came out from Mel Gibson... And then we had an existential crisis about what to do with this value that certainly was in the Bible somewhere, that all R-rated movies are wrong. Hmm. And so then they came out with like an edited version, I think, of this for people who struggled like me existentially to absorb this, right? But here's what these things did for me is they allowed me very easily, very easily to become prideful in my own heart of what I do. You listen to country? I'm better than you. I'm better than you. You watch that movie? That's funny. I'm better than you. I mean, I'm not going to say that. Listen, I mean, God is good. I, ho I hope, hope that was good for you. But I'm, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I learned that you don't say certain words out loud, certain bad four-letter words. I learned that. And if you do, you're bad. I'm good. Now, never mind that I might think them, Right? Right? 
you're allowed to nod your head. Never mind that I might think them, but if I don't say them, that's okay. And then that allows me to judge you, and it allows me to judge me. And then I'm good. Listen, I'm good. That's what spiritual pride does. That's what disciplines do. That's what living your life according to the rules does, is it gives me a chance to advance myself. In your eyes, you think I'm better. Yeah, Tim doesn't cuss. Tim doesn't smoke. All right, Tim doesn't sleep around. He doesn't listen to that stuff. He doesn't watch that stuff. That's what he does. And what do I become? Someone who's respected, quote unquote. But what am I doing? All that I'm doing, all that I'm doing is I'm playing the game. All that I'm doing is playing the game. I'm chasing the rules. I'm chasing the rules. I want your approval. That's what I want. I want your approval. And I'm chasing a shadow of what is reality. And what a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. Because no, no R-rated movie is going to send somebody to hell. All right, no country music is going to send somebody to hell. I don't think. All right, no, no uttering of a curse word is going to send somebody to hell. Nor will any purity in never watching an R-rated movie save me. Nor will only listening to quote-unquote Christian music ever save me. Nor will, will being consistent in attendance on a Sunday morning ever save me. This is, this is a fool's errand to chase with my life the things that are a creation of the world around me, of the people who want to encourage me to keep being honorable and godly. It's a fool's errand because they never save me, but they make me feel good and allows me to judge you <laughs> and you to judge me. And it creates arrogance. It feeds the monster. It feeds the monster. Which is why Paul says, you're, you're free from, <laughs> from all that. Don't follow these rules. He goes on. He goes on in verse 20. Why, why is this so important to him? Two reasons, I'll be honest. It's really simple. Number one, they don't work. And number two, it's not our identity. He says, verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. See, this verse 20, this is an identity piece. You have died with Christ. If you have you're placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the identity. This is the, we are, we are put in the ground with Jesus Christ, and this is the formation of our identity. I have died with Christ. This is who I am. It isn't that I'm a, a follower and conformer to the rules. That's what I used to think my identity was. <laughs> my identity is, listen, I'm a good Christian because of these things that I do, and they're affirmed by the good people around me. Hey, good for you for being consistent in your devotions every day. Good for you for fasting. Good for you for doing this. Good for you being in church. Good for you for praying this amount of time. Good for you for listening to that and watching that and not doing that, not doing that. Good for you that I don't hear bad words come out of your mouth. Good for you that you don't ever drink. Good for you that you don't ever do this. And what am I hearing over and over and over again? Your identity is in the ability of your performance and your behavior to adapt to the rules that your system creates around you. And Paul is saying, no, no, you died with Christ. Therefore, your identity is in the death of Christ. Your identity is in the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. This is where it starts. Your identity is there to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Then why do you still Submit to its rules. Do not taste, do not touch, and do not, uh, do not handle. Verse 22. These rules which have to do with things which are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. It's just a bunch of people who are gathering together their best ideas and putting it together. And then verse 23 is such a strong finish to his thought. He says that such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, 
but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Powerful verse. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Indeed, that looks good. Listen, that appearance is so ridiculously strong. Isn't it? Come on. That appearance is so strong. In fact, this is the first thing you see when you roll out of bed. We check ourselves in the mirror, how we look and how is everybody looking before you go out the car, you know, into the, into the car and out the door. Everyone look all right, feeling all right? All right, let's make sure everything's all set and good to go. How we're appearing, how we're looking, these things have an appearance. The appearance of godliness is so strong, so strong, that many of us can't or won't simply give it up. And the more we feed it, this is so ironic, the more we feed it, the stronger it becomes. And so here's the funny thing. Take my example, like the more I did all the things around me that I thought people wanted me to do, who defined godliness in these external terms, then the, what I was chasing, what I was chasing was a kind of spiritual humility and oneness with Christ. That's what I was chasing. And what I got, what I got was arrogance and conceit. It's a feeding the monster. Like the more I do the things that everyone wants me to do around me, then hopefully the more godly I will become is what I thought. But what I actually got was the complete inverse of that. I got more conceited to what end? Now I'm holding all the rules in tension. But here's the funny thing. These rules are a waste of time. They don't actually work, nor do they ever deliver salvation. And this was the big problem. This is why it's a fool's errand to keep up appearances, which is why I love it. Oh, man. So we do the front porch sometimes over at the factory. Some of you know about that. The front porch is a more relational environment to talk about matters of faith. Listen, there's a bunch of curse words set at the front porch. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's, there, people are coming without the, the Christian filter. And they're not trying to be rude. They're just saying, this is the way that I see the world and blah, 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 right? And real legitimate questions without an extra added on layer of they're breaking the rules, by the way, of a traditional Sunday school environment and certainly of a Christian small group. The rules are broken. But who cares about those rules? Unless they're for wisdom and love, then I do, right? I still think we should take our hats off at Grandma's table. It's kind and loving to do that. But I don't think we should use the rules to judge, to approve, or condemn the people around us. And so I think it's a tremendously beautiful thing when church people who are used to certain rules can sit next to those who are not used to them at all and love and engage them where they sit and where they stand because the rules, the power of those rules are broken by Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. So here's what I want to here's what I want to say. At the end, this is a very important part. He says at the end of the verse, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You have the self-imposed worship, false humility, harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, I can't tell you how many times um, over the years, let me be very direct with this example, uh, over the years I've had people come to me to talk about um, how do I deal with a struggle with like unwanted sexual desires, right? I don't want these things, how do I deal with them? Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've been through um, internet monitoring software, um, accountability uh, like that, um, disciplines like that. And inevitably, when you play the long game on this issue, inevitably, inevitably, if you want to pursue sexual desires that, 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 aren't, that you know, aren't good for you or good for the people around you, if you want to pursue these things, 
you will find a way, and you know it, you will find a way to get over and through any kind of restriction that's put on you. You will find a way through the internet monitoring software. You just, you just will. You just will. You know that. Because the rules simply don't have the power, they simply don't have the power to control sensual indulgence. And sensual indulgence is a Greek term that simply means the flesh. It's all of the desires within us. It's not just sexual desires. It's, it's um, rage. Uh, it's anxiety. Uh, it's depression. It's shame. It's the things that, that move us deeply. Those things, they aren't ever controlled by layering and putting a, a disciplined 30-day plan on top of it and saying, if you follow this, that will control you. It simply won't. It simply won't. If you want peace and you're chasing it by following a 30-day devotional plan, I don't have a problem with that. I also don't have a problem with internet monitoring software. I don't have a problem with any of it. I just want to put it in its place and say it can be a helpful ad, but it isn't the thing. All right, Christ is the thing. It isn't the thing that saves us. The rules aren't the things that save us. It may help us along the journey, but Christ is the one who regrounds us and settles us firmly. All right, same thing for dieting. It's not a spiritual example. When you're struggling with what you're eating, <laughs> you know, you can have a diet plan, but you know, listen, if you're hungry, you're going to go sneak that thing in the middle of the night. No one's going to know but you. Come on. You can't control those passions sometimes, right? And this is what Paul's saying, that the rules simply don't have any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so what does Jesus do? Um, what does he really do? I'm trying to make the case here this morning through what Paul says is that Jesus breaks the rule of rules, that he removes from us this need to follow a set of rules applied by a culture to try to bring to us orderliness, godliness, and, and life. And what really is happening is when we chase these things, we're chasing a kind of spiritual um, goal and end that doesn't really feed our soul the way that we should uh, have it go. And so what I want to say about that is I hope for you that you won't ever chase, like I did, some religious practices to advance your spiritual condition. Um, I hope that as you go that you will see that layering discipline on top of your passions of your soul are not going to be enough to restrain you or to hold you in place. What you really need is something deeper. And so let me take, for example, um, unwanted sexual desires. This is an example. By the way, we're starting a, a program in the beginning of the new year, in January, for anyone who is dealing with this issue, which is very real for so many of us, to deal with unwanted sexual desires. We're going to be covering a curriculum called Unwanted. Uh, trying to, um, to work through why is it that we face these things with great regularity that we really don't really want to face. And so if you have an interest in that, by the way, just write uh, unwanted on your communication card at the end. We'll get you information. But here's how I think this works. Instead of just saying, here's what we're going to do, we're going to all sign up for a 90-day you know, a, a accountability relationship and we're going to have internet monitoring software. What we're going to do is ask the question, why does this exist within me at all? Why is it here? What's happening in me? What need am I trying to get met through this? And then how can the gospel speak to this? Where in my story is pain or harm coming forward and I'm trying to meet that through this or through this? Where what I need is to remember that I have been buried with Christ and raised with him. And so how does the gospel speak to my pain? And how do I verbalize my pain and harm? Because I'm reaching for peace. I'm reaching for a fulfillment. 
And when all we do is layer on top of our passions, which are wild and strong, if all we do is layer on top of that a version of discipline, what have we really done? Except try to smash down these passions. So control them. Control your rage. Control your shame. Control your anger. And here's ten ways to do that. The alternative is to say, no, I have these. Why are they here? What are they telling me? How can I listen to them? And how can I, as I listen to where they've come from, be drawn back to Christ's grace in my story to find him in my story? Because if you've never been able to accept forgiveness for your own shame, then go ahead and layer another version of discipline on top. It will never satisfy you. But if you've never been able to find forgiveness, revisiting a part of your story that says, here's why I can't accept forgiveness, and then finding Christ again in your story, that is where life is. And the honesty and the transparency of that. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to chase, chase shadows in your spiritual growth. I don't want you, like I did for so many years, to chase conformity to what it looks like to be Christian, whatever that means. To spend your time chasing the shadows of what you should wear, what you should look like, and what you should act like, and what you should watch and consume, and all these things that are a fool's errand to chase because they never save you anyway. So I want to ask this question to you, and then I'm going to be done this morning, I promise. Are there any shadows that you're chasing? Are there any shadows that you're chasing? I don't want you to waste your energy like I did for so many years. I don't want you to chase shadows. Paul writes there in Colossians chapter 2, I think it's verse 17, these things are a shadow of the things to come. The reality is in Christ. The reality is in Christ. And that means in the, in the middle of my pain and unwanted pursuits of all kinds of things, that I would love for you to say, to, to be inquisitive about your hurt, to be inquisitive about the things that you hate about yourself, to be inquisitive about your shame, to be inquisitive about the things that you're trying to control. And then ask, where is it that Christ speaks into this? Where is it that I have a past pain, point, harm that's been done that I'm trying to meet somewhere else? And stop chasing the shadows of what is to come. Internet software, accountability, spiritual disciplines on their own, on their own, will never save you. You've been freed from the Sabbath and the New Moon Festivals, from all that comes. The reality is found in Christ. And so I want to encourage you as we go through this series what Jesus really does is he frees us from the rule of rules. These disciplines can be helpful if they're kept in place. But they can kill us. They can wear us out. They can, like me, create pride and arrogance. If you feed the monster. And Jesus has broken us free from the rule of rules. And I don't want you, and I know I don't either, to be chasing shadows rather than chasing Christ and his work in your life through the years. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning and to engage um, a writing from so many years ago with a kind of message that's hard to hear. It can be sometimes difficult to know what this means to walk with you in honor and to walk in a community with love and respect to each other while pursuing Jesus Christ. And so I pray for us this morning that as we walk 
and deal with the passions of our own heart and deal with the things that, that are deep within us, that you would remind us again of the power of Jesus, that we are not only freed from the power of sin, but we are also freed from the burden of a kind of conformity to external, even spiritual practices. I pray that you would help us to keep these in perspective and not to chase the shadows. They point to something more. And so I pray that you would help us to pursue Christ, to pursue honesty in our own hearts for what we really wrestle with, and to find in those conversations, in the struggle of our own passions, the things about ourselves that we don't even like, that you would help us to find the grace of Christ. the reality of a new grounding, a new foundation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.